In today's podcast, we're going to break down the five phases of starting your own physical therapy practice. We're going to share with you our own experiences. We're going to basically take you through what are the obstacles that you need to get through at each phase to get to the next phase? What's the mindset that you need to have in order to be successful? That's coming up on today's podcast. Are you a physical therapist who wants to pay off your student loans, gain financial independence, and have true autonomy in your work and your life? The best way to do that is to open your own practice. But how? What are the steps that practically guarantee your success? Well, that's what you're about to learn. The Performance Doc Academy podcast is your audio blueprint to opening your very own physical therapy practice. So let's go. So you went to Jamaica. (laughs) What the (laughs) fuck were you doing in Jamaica? Well, you, you know, um, it was a destination wedding. Uh, Carrie's sister got married, and uh, it was one of those it was one of those things where you you had to go. First of all, I had to go. <laughs> she had, to, you be had there. to go. Yeah, I mean, it was very difficult for me to say, you know what, Carrie, <laughs> just enjoy yourself. And um, I'll what's that ticket to Jamaica cost these days? How much it cost to get to Jamaica? I just know what the whole process was. The whole, it was expensive. the whole process, the whole trip. You staying at you stayed in a hotel? Yeah, a yeah. Resort, yeah. Well, Jerry, you know we have a resort. Given, yeah, like all right. inclusive. <laughs> okay, Jerry, I haven't given you the whole details though. The kids came too, so that's four plane seats. Four plane seats as well, right? Two bedroom. Two bedroom. All you're buying all, you're buying all your meals. You can't cook. No, no it's all. It's all oh, it's all all inclusive, right? Okay, so your meals are provided for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it just it just adds up. But so that's the reason why I was there because there's no reason why I couldn't. Go. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. But it was a great well, it was a great time, especially for the kids to really get out of the country. You know. True. We were in uh, Florida last week. We took the van down. It was very nice. Of course, the whole time I was thinking about our next podcast. So here we go. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Man. <laughs> hey, how, how far? How long of a trip was it? It was a week. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good. man. Have you found that a four-day, three or four-day vacation is just not enough for an entrepreneur? If you're going to take a vacation, you got to take one longer to to re to refuel, re-energize, and really step away from work. I mean, that's true. But I feel like as an entrepreneur, I oh, get yeah. extremely <laughs> antsy very quickly on vacations because you're sort of not moving forward. Right. So whatever you were working on, you have to push the pause button hardcore and then you get to where you're at. And then all you're thinking about is what you didn't finish. And then you're like, okay, okay, I got to slow down. I got to slow down. And then after sitting on the beach for like two to three days, you're like, I need to get something done. (laughs) Well, I'll be telling you what Leon did did on vacation. He worked out every day and he had, he had me editing the podcasts. Okay. (laughs) You were on a workcation. Right, right. Just in a different location. That's it. No, he actually he did better stepping away than normal. Every so. time we 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 took we took the camper van down there and every three hour trip, because we were, you know, driving to Florida is like 12 hours. So my wife did all the long, the long hauls, and I was sitting in the back with my laptop working on the courses and stuff like that. So. <laughs> You can't, you can't get away from it. I feel like if you, if you're an entrepreneur and you really, you really need to decompress, you can't bring your phone or your computer or not. Like you have, you have to put yourself in a position where there's like no choice. You know what I mean? That's right. But, but it was good. It was good. But uh, today's topic's an exciting one because it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a framework for understanding the five phases of business. And uh, you know, this, this was, was your idea coming. I thought this was a really good, good way to think about it. And then we tweaked it and this really does represent, I think, the five phases that uh, a PT entrepreneur goes through. And I think understanding each of the phases, the obstacles that you face at each of the phases, what you have to overcome, and uh, understanding that every entrepreneur sort of goes through these phases helps you to, first of all, not feel like you're alone because um, everybody's going through it. And also, it helps you to realize that you there's a mindset shift that has to occur at each of the phases for you to get through it. That's true. That's true. I uh, I think we're, we're going to get into it um, in regards to the phases, but oftentimes I think people only consider the first two to three phases. And uh, unfortunately, if you only do that, then it's very hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel or even consider there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Just because you're so consumed with everything that's going on in the present 
And um, it's very hard to step away and kind of reflect or even um, determine what the path is and wh where you're actually headed if you don't keep, um, if you don't have true understanding of what these five phases are. Yeah, I think before we started working with Jared as a mentor, we really only considered the first two phases mostly, but I think he made us look at the end goal, like always what's at the end. And that could look different for everybody, but to know what that is from the beginning as much, you know, it just allows you to see some type of process and progress that can be made. Phase one is start. Phase two, survive. Phase three is scale. Phase four is sustain. And phase five is sell. And phase one start is probably the one that feels like the largest wall in front of you when you are working for somebody else or you're doing home health or whatever it is just starting a business is extremely difficult and then when you start your business you almost immediately enter into phase two which is survive but we're going to kind of break down what it takes to get out of survival mode and then we're going to go into what you need to scale, sustain your growth, and then ultimately, if you wish to sell your business uh, to exit. So let's start with that phase one. Um, what would you say is like the number one thing? An well, you're not really an entrepreneur yet because you haven't started a business, mm -hmm. but you're you're turning into an entrepreneur, right? So you're going from uh, a, a team member, a staff therapist, whatever it is, and you're becoming an entrepreneur. What is the thing that that somebody needs to overcome in order to start a business? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people who have side hustles or consider themselves uh, entrepreneurial in a um, in a regular employee, like entrepreneur at heart, but still working for an employer, they, the biggest, one, there, there's a couple of hurdles, but the, the one that I think about that is even deeply, more deeply rooted than just the fact that fear of failing is the idea that a passion and a hobby turns into your livelihood depending on it, right? So then it ends up taking out some of the joy that you may get by being able to visit it when you want to, you know, put it down, you know, like the, having the flexibility with your passion and hobby turns into now you have no other choice and it is your primary means of income. And I think that's a whole nother ballgame. It becomes serious as opposed to like this, this um, pie in the sky type of dream. Right. Well, I mean, there's a shift of risk, right? Initially, right. when you, you, you take out those student loans, you invest in your DPT, you come out, and yeah, yeah, you you owe money to the government, but it, it doesn't feel real. Like you're like, oh, okay, I have this debt. You know, it's, it's gonna take me thirty <laughs> years to pay it off. Past, it doesn't for the feel past real. two years. We haven't had to pay anything. So it was yeah. it almost going on three, right? I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not real debt. You know, and then, <laughs> even though it is, but it's not right. And so then you come out and you're like, okay, you get a job for somebody, and it's like, all right, you know, it kind of just like fits. You're like, all right, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. But at some point in time, you realize you cannot possibly deliver the kind of care within a setting that is owned by somebody else that you yourself would like to deliver. I think that ultimately is the primary motivator for most people. The, the money is there, but people just want to do good work. I mean, people want to basically be able to treat the way they want to treat. They want to start their day when they want to start their day. They want to end their day when they want to end their day. It's more so the freedom stuff. But whenever there's a shift of risk, uh, you're going to have self-doubt that creeps in, right? So if I if I all of a sudden shift the risk of, okay, my employer is paying for this clinic, they're paying for the marketing required to get the patients in the door, they're paying for the biller, they're paying for HR, they're paying for, for all those things, I'm now going to take on all that responsibility. I'm going to put my own money on the table. That shift of risk from somebody else to yourself immediately turns on uh, that part of your brain that wants to doubt and tell you you can't do something. And so in order to start, I think that in order for a PT to overcome that feeling, you have to really overcome a ton of self-doubt. And it makes no difference how smart you are. It makes no difference how much money you have in the bank. Every time you assume more risk than you had, self-doubt's going to creep in. And so 
I think for, for me at least, and I'd like to hear what, you know, how you sort of got past this as well. Um, I almost felt like I didn't have a choice. It was, it was like, I didn't enjoy working for other people so badly that the, I knew the only way that I could possibly do good work in this world was to go independent. And it, it, there was almost a sense of confidence because I knew that all I had to do was give better care than everybody else. And, and I, it had to work. I mean, how could it not work? I mean, all of the, all of the big box PT places were just delivering mediocre service uh, at the front desk, on the phone calls, you know, they were hiring aides that they're not training them. You know, the PTs were kind of like, some of them were just tuned out. It, it, it had to be better. And you know, if you can do something better, it, it's going to work. And I think the, my confidence at least came from the concept that I knew that if I just focused on delivering a better product, no matter what obstacles came my way, I would, I would figure them out. And, and the second thing that I think is super helpful these days is the abundance of resources that you mean, if you want to know how to do something, there's, there's a million ways to find the information you need. You want to know how to start an LLC. You want to know how to file your taxes, whatever it is, there's information out there. Not like back in the day where you wanted to start a business, you wanted to do something. There was almost no way to figure it out. And you had to work with somebody else or get like a, a quote unquote business partner that could do the business end while you did the creative end. Nowadays, everybody can become a businessman or a woman. And I think that's that's pretty cool. And I think that helps young entrepreneurs a lot because that fear of of moving into the unknown can be uh, assuaged simply by going online and looking things up and starting to talk to people. Yeah, I think um, in terms of overcoming self-doubt for myself was, I think I always knew at heart that I wanted to own a business. I didn't know what type of business, but I knew that I wanted to be a business owner. And it wasn't until I went into PT school that I said, oh, now I have a service to provide. So therefore this is, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a creative business around this service. So when I got out of school, it was more or less like I'm on rented time with uh, an employer in regards to, I, I, like, I'm not going to be with an employer very long. What sped up the process was an environment where I didn't enjoy being in. And it was a crash course to like, oh, this is this is not going to get any better, right? Like whether I go to another position or not, um, another company or not. So it was, uh, and the reasons why I didn't enjoy it were, I think comes down to what you mentioned were the freedoms. And, you know, people say, I want autonomy to treat. Well, I wanted full autonomy, autonomy and freedom to not have to answer to anybody, to leaving, to come and go as I please, to treat the way I wanted to, the creative freedom to market and sell and do workshops, and which I didn't necessarily get in the position or with the company that I was working with and, and did not see that opportunity ever panning out, right, or coming uh, to fruition. So I think those things, and when it reached the point where I was like, you know what, it's really now, like there's no difference in me doing it now or later. In fact, if I wait later, I'm gonna have children and a greater risk and responsibility to um, consider than if it's just Carrie and I now, right? And so mm. that was also the driving force where it was like, it was kind of the right timing due to the fact that it would have been worse timing if I waited too long. So having less risks and less responsibilities such as children and, and people depending on you uh, allow me to kind of push ahead and just say, okay, at the very least, and you don't go in thinking this way, but at the very least, if it didn't work out, uh, I can always get another job. But more importantly, not everyone else that depends on me suffers. It's just kind of us saying it didn't work. I also think it's funny because like, I don't think I had any doubt that Leon was going to succeed. Like he'll always ask me like, well, were you nervous? Like what, did, like looking and I'm like, I don't remember feeling any of that. Like I wasn't nervous at all. I'm like, I mean, I was surprised how quickly he wanted to do it out of school, you know, one year out, but I was not like, I didn't have any doubt at all that he would succeed. But I think in a way he did feel like a lot of people doubted him. And so he kind of shifted his mindset to proving people wrong um, I think like he's always had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. So like, that was like, yeah, I'm just going to prove everybody wrong. Like I can do this. 
There's no better motivator than, than trying to make everybody else feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all right. So, right. Jared, she's right, though. Um, sorry, uh, cut you off. Uh, I don't ever remember meeting resistance from Carrie in regards to chasing the goal, like uh, she or dream. Like, I, I always felt that she was like, okay, yeah, all right. It was one of those things like uh, either. I'm afraid to buck the system, right? For what it can do to our relationship. Or it's just like, you know what? He's a man on a mission. <laughs> I think he's going to get it done. It could have been a combination of both. I don't know, but uh, I never got the sense that she thought I was going to fail, which is interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, Karen, my wife, is very much like that with me. She's got oftentimes more confidence in me than I have in myself. <laughs> whenever I take on something new. Uh, and, and it's it's nice when you have somebody close to you that can see your potential even before you can see it. Yeah. And that doesn't have to come from a spouse or a partner. I mean, it can it can come from a parent. It can come from a friend. If somebody's telling you, oh man, you should, yeah, do it. You should really do that. You'd be great at it. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Like, no, you believe them. <laughs> they probably see you better than you see you. And so, right. all right. So you start and almost inevitably, almost inevitably every business sometime after starting hits a point in time where the owner feels like they need to go into survival mode. And the reason that most physical therapy entrepreneurs and most business owners hit this point is because it's almost impossible to predict the amount of work it actually takes to run a business and to do it successfully. If you're just seeing a couple of clients on the side, renting some space, that's not really a business yet. That's just you being an independent, you know, essentially self-employed. But when you start running a business, you start getting space. Okay, now you got a lease to pay for. You've got utilities to pay for. You got to buy equipment. You make a, a monetary investment in upfitting your space. You have to start running ads. What you're now putting money in, putting money in. All of a sudden now, that that sense of like, okay, I have to make this work. There's an urgency that starts to kick in. I think pretty early on where people feel like, okay, now I got to really buckle down and make this work. And during that survival phase of a business, you have to be willing to do something. And that something is take the pain. You have to be willing to take the discomfort of spending money because spending money while we love doing it, you know, it's not always fun, especially when you're starting out, you don't have a ton of it and you have to be willing to take the pain of staying up late at night. You have to take the pain of dealing with landlords that are being difficult to negotiate with. You have to take the pain of dealing with insurance companies if you want to negotiate with any of the insurance companies. There's a lot of discomfort and pain early on in the business. And it's kind of like a storm and you have to be willing to weather that storm and you have to be willing to be patient. That's true. And also about the pain piece, uh, which is interesting is that oftentimes, as a new business owner and entrepreneur, you're looking to see return on your investment right away, right? And so it's very difficult when you are purchasing things and, or such as as equipment or doing workshops and seminars and whatever it may be, and you're not getting any, any new patients from it, any new leads, like, you're putting Google ads, Facebook ads. You're asking how much am I supposed to pay just to see five get five people to click? Like it, it is like it starts to mount up, like start mounting up on you, and that's when <laughs> you're looking around like, uh, how is this going to work? Like I'm 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 starting to go into the red, or I, or I'm starting to see uh, that my whatever my whatever my investment is is starting to outweigh what I'm making and like you start getting nervous about that aspect and um okay when you say that it's not until that like so you know how um in in sports they'll say it's not a series until someone wins on the other person's home home court right because if you have you know a a, ser a game a series that has multiple games you have to win it's not a series until someone wins on the other one's floor. Same thing in this particular scenario where like 
is you really are not experiencing the true essence of a business, the up and downs, the ebbs and flows until you start realizing what I'm putting in is not making me the return on investment. And you you get stagnant. There's like, there's no movement. There's no momentum. Like that's when we're talking about like the whole storm piece where you're like, I got to just accept the pain and, and see how this goes. What do you think? Yeah, no, I have a funny story of whenever we, I remember this was, I was saying like, I always had confidence, you know, that, that he would be able to do it or whatever. But I remember pretty early on, he wanted to buy some Normatech boots, which were, I don't know, how much do they cost? I don't even know. They're like 1600 or something. Yo, Leon yeah. loves spending money. I know. I know he does. <laughs> I um, hope he does not have his own credit card. <laughs> no, he doesn't like having credit card debt. Yeah, I don't, do I don't he doesn't, about that. No. He hates credit card debt. So yeah, I can't all, stand. Uh, he loves to spend money, but on equipment, especially. But anyway. This was like one of our, one, an argument I remember. And he was like, he wanted these on protect boots. And I'm like, do you really need them? Like, <laughs> and again, we were kind of in survival mode when he wanted them. It wasn't like we weren't, you know, exactly profiting, maybe profiting some, but not, not enough. Um, and he's like, and we just got in this argument. He's like, oh, what? Like, I do need them. And you don't believe that I'm going to, you know, make it like kind of all this stuff. You hold me <laughs> back from the, the moves that I need to make in order to, to make it right, like, it's like I'm using these Normatec boots to bring in the athletes for recovery, and this is my um, selling point to them. And you're telling me that <laughs> you're not down for this move, and so I, I started getting very agitated because it was like another person that's doubting. <laughs> I'm doing. Did you, did you end up buying the boots? Yeah, Absolutely, because our marriage was on the line. I told her to, you let her buy the boots. <laughs> But like I just remember, like that's kind of how you feel when you're in survival mode. Like, it's just like, oh, can we really afford that? Can we buy? You know, you have to really consciously think about every little thing. You do. You 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 almost you're not nickel and diming, but you have a mentality of someone that's nickel and diming. Like, oh, can we really? Mm. Like you 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 have no excess, and if you do have excess, I still I don't care if you do because you're still thinking about every expense that you you have right so let's say for instance you had twenty thousand dollars to start it up and you, you start to see that money dwindling away when you're not and you're not getting enough money to replenish it so either way i don't care what it is you're starting to you're starting to feel that pain of not making enough money i think there's something to be said for starting lean and i actually yeah. think there's something to be said for staying lean mm -hmm. um, lean businesses are much easier to run but that being said um, it is your sounding board's job almost to play devil's advocate whenever as an entrepreneur, you get these bright ideas about buying new things or doing new things. <laughs> and it's almost like the argument is healthy because you have to convince the other person why something is important. And if you don't have a, a cogent argument as to why you need to buy something or make an investment or make a, you know, an expensive choice, then maybe you, you know, maybe you don't need it. And so there is that difference, I think, between needing something and wanting something. And I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, can I guarantee a return on investment on, on this purchase? And I will tell you for sure, I bought a bunch of shit early on that I did not end up needing. I thought I needed it. I bought a balance station and I bought a total gym and some other, and I ended up selling, you know, like half the equipment I bought initially. Part of it is you don't really know what you need when you're starting out. You know, if right. you're niche, if you're in, a, if you're, if you're with athletes, for example, okay, you know, what's hot in the athletic circle. So, you know, okay, everybody's using Normatec boots. I got to buy the Normatec boots. When you're more general pop, it's a little bit harder because you're not really sure which direction your clinic's going to end up going. Am I going to get a lot of vestibular patients? Am I going to get a lot of headache patients? Am I going to get a lot of back pain patients? It's a little actually a bit hard to, harder to buy that way. It's almost like trying to, you know, dress to go out somewhere, you know, dress up, but you don't know where you're going. And so you, you almost got to pick an outfit that sort of works with as many possibilities as, you know, that, that, that you might face. And I think some of the therapists that are more general pop ortho and seeing a lot of different stuff, it's super helpful to be patient when it comes to buying equipment and buy it as you need it. Like as you get the patients that are saying, Hey, why don't you have X, Y, or Z? 
Like, oh, as a third person, tell me that I should probably get X, Y, or Z. But when you're just starting out and you have this, this thought of, I'm going to need this, in your particular case, it worked out because you knew your population really well. But if you're starting out and you don't know your population really well and you don't know where you're going, I actually think it's a little bit harder to make those decisions early on. But let's say we get we get through the survival mode. And the way I think that you know that you're through the survival stage, if you will, is your business becomes more stable. Like the the ups and downs start to get less, right? There's still you still have the ups and downs, um, but things are a little bit more stable. And you're not feeling like that roller coaster is at its peaks and valleys. It's more sort of on the flat. And then you go, okay, now I know where I'm at. I can take stock of where I'm at. It's now time to scale the business. And scaling presents a whole other issue because you you mentioned you have to be willing to be humble when you scale enough to take the advice of somebody that has gone where you're going because it's very difficult to know how to scale a business because you really don't necessarily know what the business is supposed to look like after it scales. For example, do you hire another therapist? Do you hire an OT? Do you bring in massage? Do you add personal training? Do you open another clinic? Do you go into a new space? Like, how do you scale? Like, what does that even mean? Is this just putting more clients and patients on your roster? Is it adding new services? Is it hiring more staff? When do you hire more staff? There's a lot of questions that need answering when it comes to scaling a business. And it's very easy to do it improperly and have it backfire on you. Improper hiring, hiring too soon, um, not having the influx of patients you need or thinking you have an influx of patients when really just a, it's just a blip in your metrics. And all of a sudden you hire a new PT and then all of a sudden that influx of patients goes down again. And I think at that point in time, right. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, you got to know where you're going. Right. And that's all about, as you mentioned, beginning with the end in mind. Right. And, and, and knowing what the end of your business is supposed to look like and following a plan. And uh, to do that, you got to work with a mentor. And I know that that you, you have worked with several mentors over time. So in what way has that shaped your ability to scale? When I think about the phase of business, uh, Carrie, when you say we had a mentor for each phase, uh, for the most part. Well, what I was going to say is that I think we spent some time like teetering the line of surviving and scaling pre-mentor making some bad decisions like um, opening a second location when we didn't have a second therapist uh, just because thinking like oh well this will you know get us more business in the south side of Charlotte where we know some people but then Leon's time was just split driving between these two places and all over the place like I think we made some bad decisions that didn't get us to scale as quickly as we could have um, because we didn't have a mentor. Uh, mm. And so I think once we started working with mentors, it allowed us to avoid some of those more costly mistakes and really get out of that, like, survive phase. Yeah. And just to expand on what Carrie said, I, looking back at it, I tried to expand uh, by, expand geographically without having the representation geographically. And so, meaning I didn't have another therapist like she mentioned. So I, I was trying to be at two places at one time, which is very difficult to do when you consider travel time and trying to meet people's schedules. So what ended up happening was, like she mentioned, it stunt our growth. And I believe it did just due to the fact that I was unable to maximize one particular location, right? I didn't maximize one location. So if I was to look at, and so it, it dawned on us when we looked at the numbers for both locations and I was like, I, I'm basically, this is, this, I'm not, this is still not the numbers that we would want at one location. So essentially I wasn't bringing, I wasn't seeing enough patients to even consider a second location because I had not maximized the locate one location. And so it was just counterproductive. And I was paying rent in two different places. And Jared, we had bought all new places. equipment for the new spot. Right. I, I, bought, I duplicated all the equipment I had in one location into another. So, uh, which I eventually had to consolidate. And when I closed down the second location, because 
it just wasn't worth it. So yeah, just those type of things, as Carrie mentioned, I think really could have been avoided with the mentor asking the right questions and, and really bringing out the reason why it would not make sense from a business standpoint. I think the mentor that's helpful in this phase of the practice is somebody that knows how to run numbers. Yes. If you're working with a, a mentor that doesn't know how to run numbers, look at a KPI scorecard, know where your business is and do the math to figure out how many patients you need to be seeing, what you should be charging per patient, how many hours you need to be working, how many people can you afford to hire, how many patients do you need before you? Those things are so quintessential. And if you're the type of entrepreneur, uh, you know, like you're sort of like the Steve Jobs of your business, you're just like the crazy creative one, but you don't actually know how to run the business part and you don't know how to run your KPI scorecard and know where your business is at and know how to run the numbers in your business you are the type of person that really needs to work with somebody that knows how to run the numbers. Because if you run the numbers on something like that, the math doesn't really lie. You know, either it works or it doesn't work. For example, um, 100% in network practices as a whole don't work very well. And, and in fact, um, I was recently working with a acquisitions company um, looking at a property, a PT property in Florida. And uh, the, the plan was to buy this practice and then travel back and forth to Florida. I would help save the practice, build it up, and then we would sell it. So before I agreed to do this, I said, I need to see all the numbers. So they sent me all the KPIs for this business. And I'm looking at the revenue per session, the number of sessions, the conversion rate of the front desk, I'm looking at the retention rate of the patients and all these different KPIs that need to go onto a scorecard. And all these numbers were coming and I put them all onto one spreadsheet that I call the KPI scorecard. And I looked at it and I got a little model generator over in the right-hand corner, which allows me to predict things based on changes that I make to the spreadsheet. And no matter how I fussed <laughs> with the numbers, I couldn't make the business profitable because their average revenue per session was less than their average cost per session. Uh, <clears throat> and there's no way to fix that. You can scale right. the business all you want. If your average revenue per session is less than your average cost per session, based on what you're paying your therapists, you're paying your mortgage, you're paying your cleaning service, you're paying your biller. If you add all that stuff up and then you take what the insurance company pays you on average in an in-network practice and you look at the two numbers, if number one is larger than number two, if your cost is larger than what you make, you can scale <laughs> till the cows come home. You are not going to fix that business. Mm -hmm. uh, you can lower your expenses. True. You could try to ask the insurance company for more money. But ultimately, a lot of these in-network businesses, they don't have a business problem. They have a math problem. And no matter how much they try to fix the business, they can't because nothing changes the math problem. And so in that scale when you get to that scale phase, you, you, you need to start understanding numbers, how to make predictions to a business when you make changes. And you never sort of want to think to yourself, oh, I'm going to add massage and that'll help my business. I'm going to add a wellness plan. I, a lot of PT plan. I'm going to add wellness. Well, did you do the numbers on what you actually make off of a wellness session compared to had you just dedicated all that time to getting more patients? You make way more money doing PT than you do selling wellness services. Does it even make sense? And so if you just do the math on stuff, things become a little bit more clear and decisions are no longer based on a whim or your emotion or your desires or your passions. They're based on what they should be based on, which is, does it make good business sense to do this? Because you have to have good business sense when you get to the, the point of scalability. If you want to get to the phase four, which is sustainability is can you now take the growth that you have up to this point and maintain it? And in order to do that, it requires something that Carrie so astutely pointed out, which is to be consistent and to stay focused. Yeah, I think that when people have that entrepreneurial mindset, uh, it's very hard to be in a 
consistent environment that's just sustaining something instead of like just striving for more and reaching more and doing more. Um, figuring one of our other business mentors would say like, once you've reached that phase of sustainability, it's time to either focus on selling um, or you're probably going to just screw up your business. Um, <laughs> he's like, you're just going to like go and try to rework everything in your business just because you're bored. Like you don't know what to do with yourself. So I think when you're in that phase is really important to just, like you said, kind of stay focused and stay consistent and, you know, with your end goal in mind, because otherwise you might screw up what you have. Yeah. For an entrepreneur, boredom is the enemy of focus for sure. That's right. That's right. And I think uh, this is a stage where, uh, man, we had, we had it all wrong. I think I was trying to do new stuff. Um, Like when you were talking about scalability, I won't go back um, completely, but the idea of scalability for me was thinking like online, um, you, you know, trying to convert my online following and, you know, just many different things, wellness programs. And you're right. Like it's just, it really can impact, uh, it re- really take away from what is your primary source of income. And so when you go to sustain, it's very, it, it, it becomes difficult too, because even even though like, just think about this and I'm kind of going on a rant, but survival phase is unpredictability. It's very difficult to project and predict, right? Sustainability is that. A sustained uh, phase is the opposite. Is where you can you have you you, you settle you start to settle into some norms. You have data, and those norms and data allow you to project and, and be predictable, right? And that's what you ultimately want because it gives you a peace of mind that oh, I'm gonna make this amount. I can plan to I can plan to grow this amount per year, and then also I can make executive decisions on hiring, right or um, marketing, wh- whatever you need to de- uh, delegate um, your ex- your um, finances to. But what happens from an entrepreneurial perspective, we feel that if we're not creating something or improving something, we're, we're being idle, right? Like we're, we're not actually doing anything. So that sustained phase where um, I think we're close. We're close to that sustained phase now. Or on the we're, we're like teetering between <laughs> scale and sustain. If we can find and maintain a new higher physical therapist, I think we'll be transitioned to sustain. But I can see myself as when I reach that sustain phase, having difficulty with what I just mentioned because of the fact that you, you, you're like, mm, well, what's next, right? What's next, and what should I be doing that can fulfill me that now is unfulfilled? do the or is a void now because there's predictability is boreability i'm bored now right like <laughs> there's all these abilities that are not in my favor right and so um i think Dara, what what did you find uh how did you how did you navigate that sustained phase for yourself because like, you're someone that is always um working on projects and um seem to have difficulty turning down certain projects or going after certain passions how did you keep them in line, in check to make sure that you stay focused and sustain a certain consistency? Well, first and foremost, like like any bad entrepreneur, <laughs> it, it's a struggle for me to stay focused, like for sure. I, I love new shit. I love new projects. I love starting projects. I love growing things. So it's hard. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, there's some secret sauce. No, it's a it's a struggle to stay focused, um, uh, people that can do it and, and do it naturally, you know, and, and are like, okay, they're all about one thing. And they're always about one thing. It's not like they have some skill. It's not skill. That is the way they're born. They're born and they like to focus. And they probably always been like that. Those are the kinds of people they pick up fishing and all they want to do is go fishing and they can stare at that damn water with that damn fishing line in the water for hours and do absolutely nothing. Right. I can't fish. I don't understand fishing. To me, it's boring. Like the concept of doing nothing. I want dynamics. I want change. I want to be in a boxing ring with somebody throwing punches in my head. I got to move and think. I got to be doing something, right? So I think it's more about root personality 
Some people just focus and can say, stay consistent on one thing. And some people like variety and they get bored very easily. Okay. So if you fall into the second category and you're the kind of person that wants to bob and weave and move all the time, I would say like you and I, there needs to be a certain level of self-awareness. And I think that's the trick is you got to be self-aware that that's what you're like. And it's not that you're, it's not that you're making mistakes. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you have something wrong with you because you can't stay focused. That's just how you're wired. And when you're wired like that, right. And you're out in the world, all these shiny objects really can distract you and they're really enticing. And the trick is to be self-aware of the fact that you are bound to go chase after the next squirrel that comes by. And the more self-awareness you have that that's the way that you are, the less often you will misinterpret your desire for variety with an actual good business opportunity. Because what we tend to do is we tend to see everything as a good business opportunity rather than understanding that that's just us being bored and wanting to do something new. And so even shitty business opportunities that come our way we're like, oh yeah, that's all. Let me look into that. And you're like, that's a good business opportunity. No, it probably isn't. It's probably yeah. a piece of shit business opportunity. And it just looks good to you because you're bored eating the same thing every night. Now somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, you've been eating chicken every night. Well, I got sushi. You're like sushi. Oh man, I want some sushi. <laughs> and I was like, it's just, just something new. And so yeah, being self-aware is the key there. At least right, it was, I think it's for me. Well, like once you've had some success, it can be even easier to just like jump on to the next train, right? Cause it's like, oh, well, we, yeah, we did this. Why can't we do this? Right. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And so I, I think that in, in the process of staying focused, you have to really decide what is your business about? And the biggest mistake that you can make is continually adding things onto your business adding things onto the business should be avoided it, it, in almost every case. And the way to think about it is cooking. Cooking is a great analogy for business. When you're cooking a, a dish, it's not necessarily beneficial for you to veer from the recipe and just start adding spices, adding this, adding. The, the more you add, it doesn't necessarily make the dish taste any better unless they're really the right ingredients for what you're making. And I know there's people out there, there are some dishes like fried rice, for example, where you could just take every vegetable you have in the fridge and throw it into the mix. But I'm talking about if you're making like, if you're baking, for example, you can't just add whatever the hell you want into your muffin. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, and business is very much the same way. It's very select few ingredients, very simple food done extremely well will beat complicated, overworked, overindulged meals hundred percent of the time. And so if you have a business and you're a physical therapy practice, adding on all these other services does not necessarily lead to scalability or sustainability. What it leads to most of the time, but not all the time, what it leads to most of the time is increased complexity. And the more complex your business becomes, as I'm sure you have experienced, and I certainly have experienced, what it does is it actually pushes you back into survival mode because now your business becomes so complex that you have to then start surviving all of the new problems you created by adding things to your business that had no business being there in the first place. And that definitely makes it hard to move to step five to sell your business. The more complex it is, nobody wants to take that off. <laughs> you know what's funny is that the first thing that that uh, uh, a large corporation will do when they buy your practice is they will cancel all of your fancy little services. Like <laughs> they will. Like, when I, when my business was bought, they were like, "You have a wellness program." I was like, "Yeah." They're like, "We're gonna we're gonna cancel that." <laughs> like, Do you sell orthotics? I sell orthotics. We're not gonna sell orthotics. Like they, they took every piece of added on layer to the business and just got rid of it because they know that it, the complexity it adds is just not worth it, and you got to keep the main thing the main thing. And so in order to be successful at step five, you have to have sustained your business for 
at least two years. You have to have scaled your business. Now, we are not in any way saying don't scale your business and add complexity. What we're saying is scale your business properly. If you want to have three locations, four locations, five locations, that is perfectly okay. Just be aware that as you're scaling your business, you're staying focused on your specific goals that you have set for yourself. But once you get to a certain point, any business that wants to buy you is going to look at your historical metrics and the primary metric that they will look at above and beyond any other metric is your net profit. They're going to look to see if you are profitable and they're going to base your EBITDA, which I never remember what it stands for. Mm -hmm. Earnings before interest depreciation, something and something. It's essentially basically what your business is. It's the value at which your business is valued. So they're going to take your net profit and they're going to say, okay, this business is worth X based upon your historical data. So if you had a shitty year and then a good year and then a shitty year and a shitty year and a good year or a good month and a bad month and a bad month and a good month and a bad month and your business is still all over the place and it's not consistent, then when they evaluate your business in an attempt to buy it, you're going to get a much lower number because you are not showing success at phase four of your business, which is your sustainability. And that really is the key to being able to sell is successful sustenance of a successful business over time. That is what is enticing to these larger corporations that, that buy practices. Yeah. So Jared, why don't you tell us, because neither of us have sold a business yet, but you have. So tell us kind of where your mindset shift needs to go when you're talking about selling a business. Well, there's a couple of things that you need to know. First of all, you have to know what you're willing to give up. That's number one. And the the company that's going to buy your practice. Well, first of all, I mean, let's just tackle the, the, the options here. We should probably do a whole podcast on this, but why would you sell your business in the first place? And like, is that really the goal of every business is to sell? I would say maybe, but more importantly, you really should not be getting into business unless you know how you're going to get out because working with, I, I, I consult with a, with a local practice, the owners are in their seventies and they didn't have this framework. They didn't really work with a mentor at any point in time. And they have ran this practice for over 30 years, longer, probably close to 40 years. And they're at the point where they want to sell, but they can't because they haven't properly gone through all of these phases and done the, 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 the metrics properly along the way to be able to get out of the business. So they're almost in a way, sadly enough, stuck and they want to exit. So when you get in, if you can set your trajectory on, okay, how am I going to get out if I want to get out? Then you scale to the point where you know that your business is sellable. And that's a really good place to be because then if you want to go do something else, you want to run an online business, you want to you know, go make videos on YouTube, whatever it is that you want to do, you can then go ahead and do that because your business is sellable. So even if your goal is to, yeah, I don't want to sell for 20 years, 30, whatever it is, however long you want to be in business for, you still want to think about getting to a point where it's sellable. Okay. So now you're at that point, you know, for a fact, the company that is going to buy you is not you. And they don't have the morals that you do. They don't have the standards that you do. There's just no way. There is no large corporation out there that is buying practices that has the ability to deliver the care that you can deliver. And you have to be willing to give up on some of that. And you have to be willing to know that your patients are going to be disappointed. Your staff is going to be disappointed. There is no way around it. You are not replaceable by anyone. And so that's that's tough. Now, if you're selling your business, let's say some people sell their business. Like, who'd you sell your business to? I sold it to uh, another physical therapist. It's like, well, you sort of sold your business because another physical therapist is not going to pay you know, three to five, th say three times EBITDA. If, you're, if, you're, if your business makes $100,000 in profit per year, 
a physical therapist is not going to buy your practice for 300 grand. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Physical therapists are not walking around with that kind of cash in their pocket. If you want to make a profitable exit, you have to sell it to a large corporation that is going to pay you what your business is worth. And if you want to do that, you have to be willing to know what you're going to give up. And the second thing you need to know is what you're not willing to give up. And so, for example, when you sell your business, some of the larger corporations will ask you to stay on as clinical director, or they will put you into a contract that gives you a non-compete or whatever it is. And you have to know what it is that you are not willing to compromise on. It's like any other negotiation. And so those are the two things that you have to know. And if you haven't sorted that out for yourself, then selling becomes a very, very difficult internal process because then you're not really sure. It's like entering any negotiation without knowing what you want and what you're willing to give up creates a situation where you are bound to lose more than you than you bargained for. Then that's not a good situation. And so I think you know when you want to get out. Like people know you don't have to, you do not have to be coached to sell a business. You know when you're <laughs> know when you're ready to sell, but what you don't know is what you're willing to give up when you're not willing to give up. And that sometimes needs to be coached. Interesting, um, because <clears throat> two things I got out of first, I would never be 70 years old treating an outpatient. <laughs> That's the first thing. There's no chance. And the second thing is um, just like I struggle, I think in terms of phases, I'm thinking of the phases in which I have to have a self-awareness where I may struggle with. Uh, I didn't struggle as much with survival as well as starting because I had this confidence in, in survival, I have been brought up with humble beginnings, right? And so the idea of like, you know, not being able to eat out or being able to leave a tip or take uh, uh, a girl out just because I was broke, right? Like I, I had lived without, you know, so that was not new to me, right? But scale of like scaling, and a selling are going to be the are going to definitely by far be the most challenging phases for me. Scaling for the very reason of delegating, right? Like having confidence in delegating to other clinicians, other staff to make sure that and feel that they're going to get the job done the way I would want them to. And then for selling, being willing to let go like you mentioned to the the companies or the brands that are not going to worry about the little letters that I write to every patient after they come for an eval for picking us, right? Or the idea of like, you know, um, I, little Johnny, I, I, I want to know how well he's doing. So we, after they, after every eval, not every, after they're discharged, just randomly pick up the phone and ask how little Johnny's doing like that, that, personal care, that personal touch is going to be lost when you 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 sell it to a bigger corporation or business. So having to understand that, willing be willing the, the willingness to let that go. And then also I think shortening my list of things that I'm not willing to give up, which is going to be a challenge for me as well. Right. Um so because of the fact that it is your baby, like you mentioned, it's something that you work very hard and um, it's very dear to your heart. And um, the idea of just kind of letting it go all of a sudden is um, going to be the challenge. So I'm glad you mentioned and painted the picture for selling because I'm not there yet where like I know it's time, like, you know, like father time in basketball, like, you know, it's time, sit your ass down, right? Like <laughs> I know it's going to come. But to think about it already uh, is one a blessing. The fact that, you know, I'm not there yet in terms of having a, a case to say this is what I expect to make. But to know that we are in that, we're, we're, in, we're headed in that direction. And two, to think of the things that I would need to either think about um, in regards to being able to close the sale or not sabotage myself the selling um, negotiations is it's pretty key. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's cool. The less passionate you are about your business, the less you do the things that you just mentioned, the, the less you care, 
the easier it is to sell. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the business that's bu- that's buying you is going to do the same dumb shit that you do. So it's like, well, it's it's not a big deal. It the the more you care, the more you put into your business, the harder, the harder it is to let go. That's right. Now, sense. would you say is so you you paint when you said that you paint the picture of you know, dude from office space at the beginning of the uh movie where he's just like have had it. He just, you have you seen office space? Yeah, oh. several times. Where are you going with my stapler? That's my stapler. <laughs> when you no longer care about the TPS report. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to get out. It's time to get out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to have you go ahead and come in on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you get the memo about the TPS <laughs> reports? Yeah. Uh, we got a new cover sheet. Yeah. <laughs> when you no longer give a shit about the TPS reports. Yeah, that's quite right. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. Oh, that's good. You you increase your sellability. <laughs> I no longer care about the TPS reports at that time. So, yeah, man. That's, that's right. That's good. You know, I mean, when you look at, so let's go into office space. Like, when, okay, you, you look at a movie like that and you know, like, you know, the, 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 the O face guy, right? Mm-hmm. Give, him, give him my O face. Oh, oh, that guy, right? Okay. <laughs> if that guy were to open up a physical therapy clinic, he would sell it without a second thought. <laughs> right? Because he doesn't really care. And and I'm not trying to diss physical therapists that open up practices. What I'm saying is I have met physical therapists that run their practice almost identically to the way a big corporation runs their practice, where they're, it's just, eh, yeah, it's patients, you bring them in and do this. That's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You will have a much easier time selling. You will be perfectly fine working for the man, and everything is going to turn out just fine for you. But the majority of physical therapists out there who open up their own business really, really are proud of what they've built. And the more pride you have in what you've built, the more difficult it is to see it uh, deconstructed by uh, a company that's going to rip your EMR apart and do it a different way, take apart your processes and do it a different way, change your front desk scripts and do it a different way, answer the phone differently, uh, who's not going to follow up. Then they're going to put all this bureaucratic nonsense in the way and 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 they're going to change the way you run your meetings. It's like every aspect of the business becomes different. You literally become assimilated into the corporation that buys you. And no matter what they tell you about you maintaining your own culture and this, that, and the other, it's complete and total bullshit. You will be assimilated into whatever it is that they're doing. And because you know this going into the process, or I almost knew it, maybe I was in denial about it, but those that are listening to this, now you know you will be assimilated Therefore, it's way easier to let go before you sell. When you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm willing to let this business go. And it's going to turn into whatever it's going to turn into. And and it was a good run. You know what I mean? It was a good run. And whatever it becomes, it becomes. It's not mine anymore. I have to let it go. You have to be willing to get to that place. Because honestly, you'll have a better selling experience if you do, and you'll make a lot more money because you'll be a lot more amicable and easy to work with in the negotiation process. And so you you have to know when it's time to sell and you have to be willing to let go of what you've built. And it's exciting because then you can say, okay, well, if I built that, what else can I build? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to run this thing anymore. That's good. Let's go. Let's go on to the next <laughs> thing. You know? I mean, that... That's that's really the point in time where you're the shiny object can actually go to your benefit because you're like, this is great. This is not mine anymore. Now I get to go do something new and that's exciting. And so the remorse that you had about letting the business go, it goes away pretty quickly because you're excited about whatever the next thing is. So, you know, God willing, everybody listening to this podcast gets gets started, gets out of survival mode 
gets ready to scale and then works with uh, you know us or another mentor to get to the point where their business is making the kind of profit that they can then sustain, gives them the lifestyle that they want, and then does that for a little while until they decide, you know what, it's time. And they're in a position to have a nice, good, lucrative exit. That That's, that's what we hope for you. Thanks so much for listening to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. Make sure to head over to www.performancedocacademy.com where you can learn everything that you need to know about how to start, grow, and eventually sell your very own physical therapy practice. We are going to teach you step by step. It is all of the information and knowledge that we wish that we had when we started out in our own practices. And this is going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in mistakes. Head over to www.performancedocacademy.com. We'll see you there.